Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. I'm very proud to say that this concert is made up entirely of American composers who were born in the 20th century. All the pieces were written in the 20th century, with the exception of the brand new piece on the program, obviously, which was written only two years ago in 2009. I began with that piece in designing the program. It's an incredible piano concerto by a good friend of mine, a major living American composer named Michael Doherty, who's a distinguished professor of music at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and uh, whom I've known for many, many years and whose music I've played throughout my career. Uh, And Michael happened to send me this new piano concerto, which uh, has a very handsome CD already made of it by the Nashville Symphony with my friend Giancarlo Guerrero as conductor and a brilliant young pianist named Terrence Wilson, a soloist. And this recording on Noxos uh, has actually already won three Grammy Awards, including Best New Composition. When I heard the piano concerto, I certainly understood why. It's a a powerful, really monumental 30-minute tour de force for the piano and orchestra, inspired entirely by Michael's love for trains. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but in planning the program around this Michael Doherty piece, I thought it would be great to play some of the works that, that sort of informed Michael's language. Michael is a composer who grew up playing in rock bands and in jazz bands and playing cocktail piano, uh, and yet also went off and studied at the Yale School of Music, studied composition, then traveled through Europe, working with some of the most important modernist composers of the 20th century, Boulez and Ligeti among them. And so he has this wonderful fusion of the great tradition along with uh, American indigenous music. And so the composers that that immediately called to mind were the great uh, American composers Leonard Bernstein and Aaron Copeland. And then in addition, I thought it would be lovely to uh, begin the concert with a great American masterpiece, a piece that doesn't have that much to do with Michael's music or Michael's language, because this composer is such a singular figure in American music. It's the famous Adagio by Samuel Barber. Barber, of course, being perhaps the greatest neo-romantic of the 20th century, a composer who really didn't care all that much for contemporary style or contemporary fashion. He wrote very heartfelt, Italianate music, music that uh, was just the kind of music he wanted to write and was pretty much not rattled or disturbed by the fact that lots of people considered his music somehow outmoded or outdated. Uh, And in fact, uh, his best works have really already withstood the test of time. This is a very early work of Samuel Barber's. It was written in 1936, uh, and it was originally the slow movement of his first string quartet. And uh, it was such a success when the string quartet was premiered that Barber's Barber conceived the idea of turning this one movement into a string orchestra piece, which in fact he did. And it it came to the attention of a a gentleman who's not at all associated with American music, although he lived and worked in America. In fact, someone who 
pretty much championed almost no American music at all, the great conductor Arturo Toscanini. Toscanini heard the piece and uh, thought it was great, heard the string quartet version, and uh, decided to give the world premiere of the Adagio for Strings with his NBC symphony, uh, his NBC orchestra in New York, which he did in 1938. So this is one of the very, very few premieres of a work uh, by an American composer premiered by Arturo Toscanini. He, he played a little bit of American music, but he certainly was in no way a champion of our American composers. But understandably, this very lyrical and beautiful string piece that occupies such a an immense amount of sonic space going from the very softest registers of the instruments to the very loudest and most dramatic uh, certainly touched a chord in Toscanini as it has in all the listeners since. So here now to open our concert is uh, Samuel Barber's beautiful early masterpiece, the Adagio for Strings. It's played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, performed by the string section of the Albany Symphony. The next work on our program is, in fact, the new piece on the program. It's Michael Doherty's piano concerto, Deus Ex Machina, which I believe in Latin means God from the machine. And it is, as I mentioned earlier, an homage to, uh, to trains and to train travel. Michael has always loved trains and has always been fascinated by them and uh, decided to write not simply a, an abstract piano concerto, but one which is really inspired by different images and ideas related to trains. Uh, the work is in, is in um, three movements, of course. The first movement is, uh, in a way, sort of the most abstract uh, movement. It's a work that sort of owes its creation to the abstract modernist painters of the first part of the 20th century, as well as the Cubists. Uh, If you know that famous painting by René Magritte of the the train emerging from someone's fireplace, that was one of the images. And a number of other abstract painters in the 1910s and 20s were fascinated by this idea of the train as sort of defining the future and the mechanization of the world. And so, in a way, this is kind of a, a movement all about mechanization about uh, the orchestra, in essence, sort of playing a mechanical role, lots of ascending scales and, and going against the, the uh, pianist who, in fact, plays descending scales and all sorts of fascinating, almost mathematically laid out materials, which are very dramatic, but in a certain sense, also very abstract. The first movement is called Fast Forward, the Andate Veloce, uh, and the second movement is quite a contrast to the first. This uh, movement was inspired by a, a very different kind of train. It was the funeral train that carried Abraham Lincoln's body more than 1,600 miles across America after his death, after his assassination. Of course, the train stopped in Albany, so we feel a kinship to the the, the sadness of this of this very important train trip. And the way Michael constructs this very beautiful and, and really very big and majestic movement is he has a, a sort of main theme, beautiful theme, which is stated very richly by the whole string section at the beginning of the movement. And then he actually introduces the music of taps, of the, the bugle call that, that they play at funerals as well as on military bases, obviously, which, according to Michael, sort of was, was created or was uh, composed around the Civil War period and figured very prominently in the Civil War. And taps is played sort of in a very distended form by the trumpet, the solo trumpet, but then sort of answered in canon, uh, imitated essentially by the English horn, by that that larger member of the oboe family. So you'll hear the trumpet and the, the English horn playing a very distended version of taps. And around that, the piano sort of uh, embellishes and improvises, and it doesn't actually improvise, but creates sort of an, an improvisation around the taps theme and this other 
central theme that Michael calls the ghost theme. It's a very poignant and haunting, beautiful uh, movement. And at the end of the movement, actually the string section, the entire string section, takes up taps and plays it exclusively with harmonics. Harmonics are these sort of high whistling notes that when you you play very lightly on the string without vibrato at certain sort of nodes, uh, you get upper partials, uh, an, uh, an octave, uh, a fifth above the actual pitch, and they have this kind of this extraterrestrial, almost unearthly uh, sense about them. So very, very beautiful a slow movement called Train of Tears. And finally, the last movement, Night Steam, is uh, inspired by some amazing photos of the last of the great enormous steam engines that sort of disappeared from American railroads in the 19, late 1950s and 1960, about then. O. Winston Link was a, a very celebrated photographer who photographed these trains, this very last uh, of, the, of the great steam locomotives. And he would go to unbelievably great lengths to get his, his cameras hanging from a tree in the darkness for nine hours, waiting for just the right moment when the train passed and the, the steam was blowing in exactly the right direction to snap his picture. He, he developed all sorts of uh, approaches to lighting and had teams of, of helpers sort of lighting the, the shot just as the train came around the bend. How this translates into music is a little bit abstract in that uh, this is just a, a, a movement of immense sort of scope and power just like these these unbelievably immense uh, steam locomotives. A very exciting, powerful, riveting kind of music. The soloist for our concert is a very special artist. He's an artist who came and played with us about 18 years ago, and we're so delighted to welcome him back. Uh, Terrence Wilson lives in New Jersey. He was the pianist for whom this piece was written, and he has, in fact, I think, played all but one of the performances, I think it was once played in the last two years in Italy by an Italian pianist, but Terence was the, the commissioning pianist along with the five orchestras that commissioned the work. It was premiered in Charlotte, and then, as I mentioned, uh, performed by Nashville, Syracuse, other orchestras as well. Uh, but we're very honored and delighted to have it. Michael Doherty was on hand for the concert, and Terence plays the living bejeez out of it. So here now, uh, Michael Doherty's very recent piano concerto, Deus Ex Machina, The first movement, fast forward, the second movement, train of tears, and the third movement, night steam. Terrence Wilson is the piano soloist, and the Albany Symphony is conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The second half of our program features two major American 20th century masterworks, two extremely colorful works, both of which owe a great deal of their creation to American indigenous music. Uh, in the case of El Salón, Mexico, it's Mexican folk music. In the case of Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story, it's the sort of hot 1950s uh, jazz and swing and also Latin music of that era. I, I was so eager and interested to to put these two pieces on the program with Michael's music because Michael, his music also owes so much to indigenous style and you could hear the sort of blues influence in the last movement of the, the piano concerto. So Aaron Copeland's El Salon Mexico, which opens the second half of the program, is a very important piece in Copland's oeuvre, in his output, uh, because this was really the first piece in which Copland decided to use folk materials or indigenous folk materials in his music. He would do it again and again, particularly in his cowboy ballets, Billy the Kid, Rodeo, and of course, most masterfully in Appalachian Spring. And in all of his most populist works, he he really did not shy away from taking songs, dances, folk music, and and in, in a way embedding it in his own music, and it, also embellishing 
it in his music. And, and he got this idea with El Salon Mexico in the early 1930s. Copeland had studied in France with the great teacher Nadia Boulanger. He'd come back to America and was really writing in, in a type of modernist language that owed a great deal to jazz music in his earliest works, music for the theater, his piano concerto. These were works that uh, were very much in a sort of jazz idiom. But Copeland, unlike Bernstein and Gershwin, really didn't feel that much of a kinship with jazz. He didn't come out of the pop music world the way, certainly the way Gershwin did. And so at a certain point in the ni- around 1930, he decided that that was really not the sort of language he, he wanted to or was able to pursue. And so he kind of went looking about to see how else he might cast his own music in a distinctly, uniquely American light, and an Amer- creating an American sound that would be somehow distinctive and, and unlike all of the European music of the day. And uh, in 1932, I think he was... Uh, taking down to Mexico. He loved to go down to Mexico to to stay in little pueblos and, and compose. He found it very peaceful and he loved the people and he loved the, the whole feel of the place. Uh, and so while he was in Mexico, he met up with his great friend, the composer, the leading composer in Mexico, Carlos Chavez, uh, who was a great friend of his through his whole long life. And uh, together they went uh, visiting around Mexico City. Chavez brought Copeland to a, a very famous nightclub, a dance hall in Mexico City called El Salón Mexico. The, the Salon Mexico, the Salon of Mexico. And uh, Copeland described this place. It was quite a colorful place. And there were signs by the door that said, uh, one said, check your firearm here. And uh, the other said, don't throw cigarettes on the floor as women are dancing barefoot. And uh, it was a very rough, kind of wonderful, colorful place, four different dance halls, four different floors, and different kinds of people hanging out in the different in the different dance halls. He, he loved the sense of it. And when he came home, he decided that he'd try writing a sort of musical postcard to thank his friends back in Mexico for the wonderful trip he'd had. And, and being a very intelligent person and a very uh, sort of aesthetically sensitive one, he, he even said later that he decided decisively, he decided very decisively not to try to write a piece about Mexican history or Mexican heritage or a big monumental native Mexican symphony. He wanted to write something that sort of captured the the beauty and the fun and the excitement of modern-day Mexico. So he had been given a collection of songs while he was, folk songs, while he was in Mexico City, and he went through, actually, I think two collections, and and found some, actually at the time, very uh, unfamiliar songs, but that he thought really kind of evoked certain aspects of Mexican character. And he wove these uh, songs into his 15-minute tone poem, El Salón México. The piece was premiered, actually, by... Chavez and his orchestra in Mexico City, and it had a huge life. In fact, not to be hard on Arturo Toscanini, he actually, Toscanini himself actually conducted this piece, which I found very surprising. It's a very tricky piece to conduct, lots of mixed meter and difficult rhythms, and the kind of thing that I think conductors in the 1930s would have found quite difficult. But really, most of the major conductors took this piece up in America, and it was played all over and really helped to make Copeland's name as the kind of foremost composer of the day. It does evoke this world of a Mexican nightclub in an incredibly uncanny and sort of authentic way. Uh, it begins with kind of a fanfare, and then there's this sort of drunken trumpet theme that comes in, and the trumpet sort of wanders around with the woodwinds, and then the the bass clarinet grabs the bassoon, and the bassoon and the bass clarinet sort of dance this slow, sultry dance together. And then the, the strings come in with a beautiful folk song, and eventually it all kind of goes crazy, and everybody's dancing and having a great time. Uh, very difficult to play, but very wonderful-sounding piece of music. This now is Aaron Copeland's El Salon Mexico, played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. 
the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. That was Copeland's El Salon Mexico, played by the Albany Symphony. The final work on our program, Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story, almost needs no introduction. This music is so ingrained in the American psyche, and these pieces, these songs, are so iconic that pretty much everybody can sing them or hum them or recognize them. It's interesting to note that that, that West Side Story had a a very long and difficult birth. It was in uh, the mid-1940s that Jerome Robbins, the legendary choreographer, had this idea to uh, do a, a musical along similar but very different lines. To tell the truth, hard to believe, but this is absolutely true, his original concept for the show was called East Side Story, and it was about a Catholic boy and a Jewish girl, I think named Esther, uh, and it was all going to take place at Passover and Easter time. Uh, I guess there were going to be no knife fights, and I think it was probably just people fetching over the the Passover and the Easter table. Uh, Not surprisingly, Bernstein didn't like the idea at all and didn't really move on it. It was only about 10 years later that he and Arthur Lawrence, the the gentleman who wrote the book for the story, sort of happened on this idea of changing it around. There was a lot of gang activity on the west side of Manhattan in the 1950s, and they thought, why not make it Puerto Ricans and Irish or, or, or Americans and uh, make it two gangs that are fighting over that? And, and as a result of that, it suddenly came into focus in the mid-1950s. And Jerome Robbins, of course, uh, still really was the, the sort of creator of the show, along with Bernstein and Lawrence, and an amazing, at that point, virtually unknown young lyricist uh, named Stephen Sondheim, who wrote all the lyrics for the song. And it was an absolute sensation when it opened in 1957, uh, an overnight hit. And it was only in about 1960 that uh, Bernstein's arranger and orchestrator, Sid Raymond, uh, sat down and created a sort of symphonic synthesis of the piece to be performed by orchestra, because at this time there was really no material from West Side Story that orchestras could play. And so I guess Bernstein delegated this job to to Raymond because Bernstein himself was uh, very busy at the time, obviously conducting the New York Philharmonic among his many other activities. Activities. So that's a little known thing that, in fact, Bernstein himself did not create the symphonic dances. It was this very masterful gentleman, Sid Raymond, who did it. But I must say that it, it, it's such a compelling and really uh, beautifully wrought, essentially tone poem based on the ideas or, or made up of the ideas and made up entirely of the material from the musical, but a 23-minute tour de force, virtuosic orchestral tour de force, and I think a very compelling, purely symphonic piece. It doesn't sound like a potpourri of themes from West Side Story. It really sort of, you feel like in the 23 minutes, you're living the entire story. So you'll recognize all of the, the famous passages, but particularly heavily represented are the dance passages, obviously, the very introduction, the prelude of the two gangs wandering the streets of, of New York, uh, but then all of the beautiful music, the, uh, the the love music, There's a Place for Us, Somewhere a Place for Us, comes in in the solo viola, and uh, there's a wonderful sort of the, the jazz fugue idea uh, the knife fight, all the gang trouble happens toward the end of the symphonic dances. But in essence, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful amalgam of all the materials from the musical. So here now, uh, the symphonic dances from Leonard Bernstein's West Side Story. It's played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. 
David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion.